Happy New Year. So the title of the message today is Come As You Are. We do the four values of City Church every January. And uh, here's our scripture that we're starting the year with. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts to who you are, to who we are in you. Father, I pray that 2023 would just be buried now. And God, that we would take advantage of this new beginning. Speak, Lord. Your servants, your children are listening. Have your way here today, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Come as you are. So, turns out, the greatest truth in Scripture is this, is God loves us unconditionally that while we were doing our absolute worst to God, putting him on a cross, while we were still sinners, doing our own thing, going our own way, at that time, God demonstrated his love by dying for us. The unconditional love of God. There is, there's nothing like it. I, I've been with Ted Gary many times when he prays prophetically over people, and often, and I've heard him preach this too, where he will start the message, whatever he's gonna do, and say, here's what God's saying. I love you, that 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 I love you, and I know exactly what he's doing. He's not speaking to their mind. People quickly agree in their mind, God loves me. But it, but it doesn't get down. It doesn't get down into our identity. This is what Christianity is. Christianity is us receiving the love of God and then us demonstrating as Christians, as his representatives, his unconditional love in this world. Now, now look, at, look at John 13, 34 and 35. He says, this is the new commandment. I want you to love everybody else the way that I've loved you. You've seen how I've loved you in your sin, in your brokenness, while you were far from me, the way I've loved you. Now, I want you to demonstrate unconditional love in this world, and then they will know that you are my disciples. They will know that I am unconditional love. They will know that my center for them is love because of you. And so this is the great call of Christianity. This is the revolution of Christianity, to be unconditionally loved and then to go out and love people unconditionally. All right, so here we go. Come as you are. First come and New Year. Only two points. <laughs> Point one, come with your sins. Isaiah 1, 18 through 20. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So God comes to the human race and he says, let's talk. You have a problem. That problem is sin. The idea 
that while I don't believe in sin and I don't really believe in God and does not change the fact that you have sin and you have a problem. You can't just do away with it in your, your mind and all of a sudden the problem is solved. God is there, God is holy, God has made us and this is no way to get rid of the problem by denying its existence. It's not a way to get rid of it by, by killing your conscience. God has put a conscience in you that tells you when things are wrong and I don't, I don't want there to be sin, I don't want to have a problem, so I'm gonna kill that conscience. I'm just gonna cross it so many times that now I have no, I really don't know what sin is. I don't know what right is. I don't know what wrong is anymore. It, you become hardened, you become cold, and I'm not saying you're beyond redemption because God can come and take out the heart of stone and still save you. But God, we have a sin problem. God wants to talk about it with us. It doesn't go away because you can justify your sin. Well, I, you know, I was tired. I was angry. I was upset. I'm emotional. That's just who I am. My family's like this. Everybody else did it at first. And da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Listen, you still did it. It's still sin, and it's still a problem. Yeah, that is not a way to solve the problem, justifying it and giving excuses for it. God doesn't want you to live with this problem. He says, let's talk together. We, we gotta start with you've got a problem and I need you to own that that is your problem. Now, my solution is I want to take your sins and I want to make them as white as snow. So here's how he does it. It's incredible. This is in Hebrews chapter 12. It says in verse 22, you have come. And it gives a whole list of things that you have come to. And the final one in verse 24 is this. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So this is a reference in the Old Testament. Cain is angry. God has not accepted his sacrifice. He's angry. He feels like he's being picked on. He feels like he's a victim. And God comes and says, dude, he didn't say dude. Uh, he says, he, he says you, you need to watch out. Sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to have you. You, you, you are right on the brink right now. And Cain rejects that, goes out and in his anger, he expresses it by killing his, his brother Abel. And God comes and says, where is Abel? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? And God's answer implies, uh, yeah, we really are each other's keepers. And he says, the blood of your brother is crying out to me. It's speaking to me. What, what is the blood of Cain or blood of Abel speaking it's speaking for justice. It's speaking for justice on Cain. It's speaking about sin has to be punished. It is speaking against Cain. And he says this, the blood of Jesus also speaks to God and it's speaking a better message. So it's interesting because in many ways, the message the blood of Jesus is speaking 
is the same. It's about justice. It's about God is holy and sin has to be judged. But what Jesus' blood is speaking is about the sacrifice he made on our behalf. That I have paid fully for the sins of the human race. So that because I have taken their sins, it speaks about mercy, forgiveness through justice. That now you and I can be forgiven. The, 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 the blood of Jesus is speaking to the Father about the human race that justice has been served. We can forgive them. We can have mercy on them. And it opens up this wonderful, wonderful matter. Now, when, when, when God says to his people, I'm gonna make your sins, though they are scarlet, as white as snow, that's how he does it. He does it through the sacrifice of the lamb. In the Old Testament, they never got removed. They just got covered. But looking forward to the one who is coming, the Lamb of God, God could take sin, rank, horrible, ugly, smelly sin, and he can, he can wash it and make it as white as snow. He can give you an absolute new beginning. We just had a snowstorm. Well, it wasn't really a storm. We had snow, and I walked in it, and it just, everything became white. Everything became beautiful. And this is what God wants for you, and he wants for me in 2024. Now, as I was working on this message, Come As You Are is usually a message that we give, we put it on our sign, for the world, come as you are. And so that, you know, that's kind of where I was going, but, but things changed as I got into this message, that this is actually, come with your sins, is actually written to God's people. Isaiah 1 is to God's people. And there were three, three sins that he wants to bring to our attention today from the, from the life of Jonah, and he's bringing them to our attention because he wants to wash us as white as snow. So sin number one, willful disobedience. This is God telling Jonah, go to Nineveh, give them this message on my behalf. And Jonah saying, no. Instead of going to Nineveh, he goes the absolute opposite direction to Tarshish. It is willful disobedience. You know it's wrong and you do it anyway. Willful disobedience. What this does is it will take you out of the presence of God. This is Jonah chapter one, verse three. Jonah went away from the presence of the Lord. Pastor Tom, how can you anybody leave God's presence? You can't Leave his omnipresence. God is everywhere at once. There's no way you can get outside of God, okay? But this is about his manifest, revealed presence. This is not just when you can feel tangibly the presence of God. This is that, that, that sense of God that every believer that's in a right relationship has. You can leave that manifest presence and here's how you leave, willful disobedience. You don't leave the relationship. He is still a prophet. He's still God's person, but he is outside of the manifest presence of God. Willful disobedience. What, what, can you help me with this? What does this mean? Okay, let's make it real plain. God told you to not to stop sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. And you said no. God told you to stop looking at pornography. 
and you said no. That is willful disobedience. I know it's wrong, but everybody else is doing it. I know Christians that do it, da 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 yeah, there are a hundred reasons, but I'm gonna do it even though I know it is wrong. Or God's told you to do something. I've told you to forgive that person. And you said, no. No, what they did was too painful. I've got a right, da 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 da. No, I'm not going to do it. And so, what happens with willful disobedience is you find yourself in the belly of a whale. Why? Because even though he's left the manifest presence of God, he hasn't left God's omnipresence, and God loves him so much that he's going to arrange circumstances to make his life absolutely miserable, and he's in the middle of a whale, and then, uh, why is he there? For one reason and one reason only, so that he'll repent. So that he'll say, God, please forgive me for willfully disobeying you. Now this one is very tricky for Christians. Because there are two things you need to ask forgiveness for when you've been involved in willful disobedience. One, you need to, of course, ask God for forgiveness for the sin itself. Please forgive me for doing that sin. It's wrong. But the second thing you have to ask him to forgive you for is the willfulness of it. I knew it was wrong. And I did it anyway. God, forgive me for that willfulness. David says, save me, God, from presumptuous sins. This is in Psalm 19, because this is the great sin against God, is when you know it is wrong and you're gonna do it anyway, willfully. We need to be, no, what does God say about that? I wanna wash it as white as snow, both the sin and the willfulness of it. I, I want that off your record. Second sin. So Jonah repents, And he gets a second chance. He gets spit up on the shore. The word of the Lord comes a second time, exact same word, do it. And this time he does it. He takes God's message. He goes to Nineveh. He does what God told him to do. But God comes to him in chapter four, verse two, about his heart of judgment. Chapter four, verse two. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. The message was there was gonna be judgment. Nineveh would be destroyed in 40 days. And instead, when he preached, they repented. And so there was no destruction. There was no judgment. God ended up having mercy. So here's what's possible. It is possible for you to be genuinely saved. You have been yourself given a second chance. You've been given a new new life. You can embrace the message that he has given of the gospel, and you can faithfully preach that message and not be doing it with the right heart, to still have hold a heart of judgment instead of God's heart of mercy. So, come as you are. Where did that come from? Well, it was the foundation of Mad City Church. Shane started, Pastor Shane, good friend of mine, started Mad City Church, and that was their banner thing, was come as you are. 
But here's the story behind it. I was with Shane. Shane was my youth pastor in Faustin, Minnesota, way up northwest Minnesota, small town there. And in 1995, God started speaking to Shane about planting a church. It started with Shane praying that God would raise up a church in Madison that would reach the culture he came from, which was the drug culture. He's like, there's no churches where they would even feel welcome. God, raise up a church. And, and so he's praying this passionately again and again, and then God starts telling him to do it, to be the answer to his own prayer. And he's like, no, 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 that's not what I mean. No, I don't mean me, I mean someone. Anybody but me. No, that sounds horrible. And then, so he's, he's kind of Jonah, but God is so insistent and speaks in so many different ways. It's just like, this would be willful disobedience. So finally he says, okay, I'll do it. And, and he's, he's ready. He's like, I'm, I will speak God's judgment on Madison. God, Madison is sin city. Madison's in rebellion. I will be John the Baptist and confront them with their sin. And God speaks to him. And the reason why he knows God speaks to him is because this was the farthest thing from his mind. Here's what God speaks. I have a message of mercy for Madison. He's like, what? Madison deserves judgment. Madison deserves Madison. And it's just insistent. I'm sending you to Madison because I have a message of mercy for Madison. And so that was Mad City Church's bulletin. Come as you are at the top. And then it was a little phrase directly from God's mouth. A message of mercy for Madison. Now, it's, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because Shane was preaching the exact same message. Jesus died for our sins. God is holy. We aren't holy. We need a savior. Same exact message, but with a different heart. The heart is mercy. The heart is not God's judgment, but God's desire to have mercy. Folks, God is calling City Church beyond just accepting Christ, getting a new beginning ourselves, and agreeing with the gospel. He is asking for repentance of a heart of judgment. He wants us to to own his heart of mercy. The evangelical church in America got really messed up in 2020. We embraced a heart of judgment about politics and and everything, and, and, and there was a lot that just made the church mean. And friends, he's calling us to love people. He's calling us to show his unconditional love. They don't agree with me. They're destroying America. They've got the wrong party. They've got the wrong da 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 da. They're 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 the re, they're the problem with America. Listen, you loving those that agree with you is not a proof of Christianity. Matthew five forty six says, if you love those who love you, if you greet those who agree with you, you've done the exact same thing the world does. There is no proof of Christianity when you love those that love you and agree with you. The, 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 the shining light is when you love people that don't agree with you. When you love people past the differences, past their confusion, past their whatever, and you love them with God's love. He is calling us to go back to our beginning. The come as you are out on that sign needs to be in our heart. You come just as you are. We're going to love you.
we're going to love you. I'm a, I'm a mess. I'm broken. I'm deceived. I'm angry. Okay. We'll love you. Amen. We will love you. Why? Because God's got a message of mercy for you in the cross. Yep. <laughs> yep. Judgment will come to everybody that rejects him, but that's not his heart. His heart is that you come. Jesus died for you. Jesus wants you forgiven. He wants you in. His blood is speaking. He wants to make everything right for you, for your sins to be washed as white as snow. The third thing that he's speaking to about sin, willful sin, the heart of judgment, but the third thing is materialism. Jonah chapter four, verse nine. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. I call Jonah the first American. <laughs> what had happened in the story, you can read it all about it in Jonah chapter four. God, he's out there pouting because God's not destroying Nineveh and God makes this plant grow up over him and the plant is shading him and the Bible says this about Jonah. He is extremely happy about that plant. I am comfortable, and I'm so happy to be comfortable, and I'm so grateful that I have a remote control and a drive-through, and I've got, a, my, my bed is the right temperature and the right softness, and the car, I can adjust the heat, and everything is just how I like it, and I love it. <laughs> I, I'm making fun of all of us, guys. I'm making fun of all of us. We are very, very comfortable in America. And I'm not asking you to feel guilty about that, but here's what Jonah said. God said, so God appoints a worm to destroy the plant. What is the theology behind that? I have no idea. I'm not touching it. But God appoints a worm who kills the plant. And Jonah is like, is so angry that his comfort has been changed that his life is so inconvenient. Kill me, just take me right now. If I can't be comfortable, then I wanna die. And God is like, really? And then he says, he, 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 says, he says, you had nothing to do with that plant growing over you. Have you ever thought about this? Do you could have been born in any country? Chances are you should have been born in India or China where life would be a lot harder. Or in an Islamic country, where your life would be very, very difficult and challenging. So you had nothing to do with being born in America. God just decided to place you in America. So here's our challenge. And I, I love the book of Jonah. I love God's heart for Jonah. So he's now right with God. He's not in willful disobedience. And God's spoken to him about his heart of judgment. And, and now God says this. You are worried about this plant. Should I not be concerned about 144,000 souls that are in spiritual darkness? They don't know their right hand from their left hand. God is saying to his church, would you embrace my heart for eternal things? 
This isn't about time. Time is going to pass very quickly. This is about eternity. The stakes are eternal. And God cares for the souls of people. And he wants his church to care with him. He's inviting us to share his heart. Paul says, these temporary light afflictions are bringing for us a weight of eternal glory. So we don't... Focus on the temporal things, but we focus on eternal things. God is inviting his church to focus in 2024 on eternal things and not temporal. He's calling us higher, church. He's calling us higher. He's calling us deeper. He's inviting us into his heart. All right, that's point one. Here's point two. Come with your burdens. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So the ES, ESV study Bible that I have um, makes this comment about the, this verse. That this refers in the immediate context to those oppressed by the burden of religious legalism imposed on people by the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus said this about the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23. They tie burdens on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. This is about... A legalism where you always fall short, you're always guilty, you're always living in fear because whatever, however much you do, it's not enough, it's not enough, it's not enough. And the Pharisees just loaded more and more rules, more and more standards that no one was keeping, including themselves, but they were in charge and they, they put it on them. And Jesus said, listen, this isn't what this is about. I came to remove all of that. I'm removing all of the falling short. I'm removing all of the guilt. This is gonna, I'm gonna supply an engine. And I, I'll give you rest if you come to me. Whatever you're burdened with, you come to me. I will give you an experience of rest. But I have something way, way more than an experience. You take your, my yoke upon you and you learn from me. I am meek and humble in heart. I will give you my heart to walk with God. The burden... The weight, the greatest weight of the human race is pride. And Jesus says, I am humble, and I want to give you my humility, and I'll show you how to walk in humility. I'll show you how to walk humbly with God. Guys, this is the fulfillment of, of Micah 6.8. Micah 6.8, God says, oh man, what does God require of you? Just simply this, do justly, do the right thing, love mercy for others, and walk humbly with your God. Jesus says, I'll teach you how to walk humbly with, with your God. I'll teach you. I am not put off by your pride. Pride is the problem of the human race. It is the central problem. He knows all about it. His 12 disciples were all filled with pride. He, he's not put off by that. He's like, I'll take you. Come as you are. Come with your pride. But I'll show you a different way. I'm going to show you how to walk with God humbly. And it will be light, it will be easy, it, it will end up being your delight. 
So most Christians are a little like our dog, Kayla. I want to tell you about Kayla. (laughs) Kayla is a dog that we had in Faustin. And here's how we got Kayla. I'm at the national convention, wherever it is, and I I call home, Alice and I are chatting, she says, honey, could we get a dog? I'm like, absolutely not. We have four little kids at the time. All I can think of is more trouble with having a dog. I'm like, no, no, no. And she says, I found the dog I want. I want a Siberian Husky. She said, they're really good with children and they don't shed. And I'm like, I'm like, no, 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 no. And she says, and then I make the argument because there'll be poop and pee everywhere and, and uh, it'll cry at night. So she says this, she says, what if I can find one that's fully trained and we get it for free? And I'm like, hold it. Do you already have, has there been an offer? No, 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 no. This is, I found the dog I wanted in a book. What if we found one that was already potty trained, fully trained and free? Could we get a dog? And I'm, here's my little male, my male mind, my husband mind. This is a really easy win. This is just the easiest win because I can say yes and be seen as generous, but this is never going to happen. This is never going to happen. This is, this is, this is an easy win. So I'm just taking the win. I'm like, yes, you get a, a Siberian Husky, fully trained, potty trained, for free, and you can get a dog. I'm very smug as I hang up the phone. God in his heavens is laughing. Guys, I kid you not, you can ask Alice the story. Within two weeks, this guy who trains Siberian Huskies runs an ad in the paper, I have a retired Siberian Husky that I want to give away for free. (laughs) Fully trained, potty trained, adult. So we get Kayla. Kayla comes into the house. Now... All I, all I wanted to do with Kayla, Kayla the Siberian Huskies need to get outside. They, need, they, they have to be walked. And so all I want to do is walk Kayla. But Kayla, when, you know, you get the leash, Kayla starts going nuts. And, and, and I, know what it, I know what this is going to be because it happened every time. And you get the leash on, you get outside, and because Kayla is crazy... <laughs> She has to be on a leash or she will just run right into traffic and get hit by a car. And so she has to be on this leash. And all I want, I'm, and I've got the picture in my mind of what I want, I just want to walk together. But Kayla is so filled with energy, she gets out, boom, she's running. And she's running way faster than I could ever run. So I am choking her. I am killing her. So I start running and I'm get, I get to full speed so that I'm not killing the poor dog. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if you've ever seen a dog stop. They can stop way faster than human beings. <laughs> Kayla will all of a sudden stop and get enamored with something and boom, now I'm, I'm, I've got her again. And I'm like, okay, it gives me a little rest. And so she's looking at this thing, looking at this thing, looking at this, okay, enough, we need to keep going. So, so I pull, nope, still enamored. 
pull. No, I have to have this, whatever it is. And so now I'm yanking and she tried to get back and finally I get her away from it. And then she starts running again. Anyway, this is how God is with, with many Christians. God created us to walk with him. He wanted companionship. He wanted fellowship. So what happens? We get saved, and now we're going to take all of that energy that we've used for everything else. We're going to use it for God. We're going to do great things with God. We're going to change the world for God. And we run out with all of our ideas, all of our identity. We're going to change the whole world. And God, God, we're just we're running way ahead of him, and we're getting choked by it. And God's saying, God, God's saying, stop. Stop, you're, you're not doing that. You're trying to do stuff for me. I don't need you to do stuff for me. I want you to do stuff with me. I want to walk with you. So we go out on our energy, and we're going to have to fail. And so Christians collapse. And they're like, I don't think I can be a Christian. I'm not a good Christian. Christianity works for other people. doesn't work. No, you just have learned that you can't do it in your own power. That's all that is. No, Christianity isn't about your great human commitment and passion. It's about surrender to grace, it's a yielding to him. So what happens, they get burned out, they, they get broken because they can't do it their way and their idea and I had a vision and it didn't work. And so then they stop and then they get enamored. They get enamored with a video game. They get enamored with the opposite sex. They get enamored with this. And Jesus is like, okay, go ahead and you know do that. Okay, okay, are you done? Let's go. Let's go. Oh, no, no, I'm not done. I'm not even near done. This is my new life. Video games. This is my new. And, and, and so he starts pulling harder and starts pulling harder and starts pulling harder. And no, no, this is where I'm going to get my list. So he has to yank us away from stuff. And then we start running again and yanking. And here's what he says in Psalm 32. He says, I will guide you with my eye upon you. Don't be like the horse and mule that will not draw near without a bit and a bridle. I don't want you to be on a leash. We lived in Faustin about two blocks from the country. <laughs> Everything in Faustin is about two blocks from the country. Anyway, um, and I, there was nothing that I loved more than to get out to the country where I could take the leash off and watch him run or her run. Just watch her run. She could run free and as long as she was within the sound of my voice, she was safe. I would call to her and she would come running. She was happy to be with me, happy to be back with me and I'd pet her and then she'd run again and in the country she was safe and so she could be absolutely free. So here's, here's my thing for 2024. Here's, here's I'm, I'm asking you to make this a goal. I'm asking you to enjoy God in 2024. I'm asking you to make God your delight. That's Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. I'm asking you to make your Christian walk a delight. I'm, a I'm asking you to see it as your greatest joy. Here's the Westminster Confession. Here's what it says. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Eden, Eden means delight. 
God created us so that we would be his delight and that he, we, we would be his delight and he would be our greatest delight and that we would walk together in this garden. And so, but in this garden, as God makes all these beautiful, legitimate pleasures, he puts a tree in there and says, stay away from this one. And so, so here's how Adam and Eve live their life, right next to that tree right next to the forbidden tree. They've got this whole garden that they could be walking in and delighting in and enjoying, but they choose to live their life right next to the forbidden tree. I wonder what that would be like. And and of course, the enemy has the power to make things very alluring and and make you feel like you can't go without what's on this tree. You are being ripped off. God is is cheating you of real fun and real pleasure. And and of course, there's nothing farther than than the truth. That's a lie. And so look look at Galatians chapter five, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. God wants you to enjoy him. He wants you, he wants you to run. He wants you. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. But here's what I want to say about this scripture. God has created Christianity not to be your burden, but to be your delight. He wants you to walk in freedom. He's, he's looking for you to walk with God. You don't have to do any great thing for God. It's not about your influence, it's about intimacy. He will influence through you. You don't have to try to plan how you're gonna change the whole world. God will, you just be intimate, he'll speak things to you, he'll give you plans and he'll give you stuff, but you just stay close to him. But listen, you've gotta stay away from what's forbidden. The flesh has its own passions, its own desires, its own idols, and it wants everything it wants, and it wants it right now. And you're going to have to stay away from that tree. You're going to have to stay away from the flesh. And here's why. When you and I walk in the flesh, when we walk in the carnal nature, (laughs) that sounds weird, the flesh. Not, Not the flesh, not like your body flesh. It's the carnal nature that's in all. We've we've all received it from Adam, and we need to live dead to the old man and live in Christ's resurrection life. The carnal nature, as long as we're on this planet, we'll still have it. When we get to heaven, praise God, we lose the carnal nature, and it'll just be pure, perfect union. But while we're here, we still have it, and when we walk in the carnal nature, we, we get out of earshot of God, we get away from intimacy. So here's the interesting thing about Siberian Huskies. Kayla is safe as long as as he can hear my voice. But once he gets out of earshot, Siberian Huskies don't have a homing device. You know how many dogs, most dogs have a homing device? Like, people, like their dog will be away for the night, and I'm like, aren't you worried? They're like, no, he'll make his way home. He always knows how to get home, okay? Siberian Huskies don't have that. When they get lost, they just run, and they run anyway. They don't know where home is. So we were talking about this this week. At least twice when we're in Faustin, and at least twice when we're in Montevideo, here's what you do when Kayla is lost. You call the radio station. 
I'm not kidding you. You call the radio station and they say, if you see a Siberian Husky, here's the number to call. And we would get the call. Caleb can't get home on his own. Just like sheep can't get home on their own. As long as they're in within the voice of the shepherd, they can make it back. But the way a sheep comes home is the shepherd going out and looking for it. The way a Christian gets home is God has to call the radio station. (laughs) And he gets other people to look for you and he comes and he sets up circumstances because he loves you so much. He has to come looking for you to bring you back home. And God is saying to us this year, how about a year where we all stay within earshot of him? Where we all walk close enough We call Christianity not our burden, but our delight. Here's the problem with being a miserable Christian. A miserable Christian is one that is not really happy being a Christian and always pulling on the rope and thank God I'm going to heaven and I'm forgiven, but you know, life down here is really hard and it's really difficult and I'm always fighting God and God's always fighting me and my whole life is a series of defeats. I just, I run to that sin and then I repent and then we're, we're good for two days and we run back to that sin and we're stuck and we're enamored and he's pulling and... It's just a miserable, defeated Christianity. Let's just be done with that Christianity. And let's do a different type of Christianity this year. Let's say no to the old man, the old nature, and let's call God our delight. Let's call his ways our delight. Well, his commandments are so restrictive. Guys, his commandments infuse life. Chris preached on this last week. His commandments are beautiful. He's got a way of living. It's the right way. And he doesn't just tell you what to do. He's the engine that will help you do it. So call his commands a delight. Don't call them a burden. It's the enemy that tries to get us away. He's doing everything he can to pull us away. And he's been very successful. Why? He wants you out of earshot. He wants you to have a miserable Christianity for two reasons. One, so that you'll be miserable. And two, so that you will have almost no witness to the world. Because <laughs> the world looks at you and says, I don't want that. Why would I want that? I've got enough troubles. I've got enough problems of my own. Why would I add church? Why would I add God as another burden to my life? 